Welcome back to Rethinking Politics. We're here for our final debate episode and potentially our final election episode. We're going to talk about the debate, talk about some of our takeaways from that, and then we're going to take some time to discuss the two candidates, talk a lot about their policies, their plans going forward, and leave you with this episode as our final our final opinion, I guess you could say, on this election as we come very close to to election day here. And the debate was much better. If you watch this second second presidential debate, it was much better than the first. Um, they got much more into the policies. They had much more of a discussion. It was more civil. It was more substantive in terms of the policies, if not necessarily the theory. And it was... It was interesting. I actually didn't hate listening to it, which is uncommon. And maybe it was just the contrast, right? <laughs> maybe <laughs> probably noticed we're pretty cynical when it comes to listening to these kind of things. I had noticed. The, uh, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't hate it. In fact, I I enjoyed some of the back and forth. I liked that they were being more specific about their details and about their plans. I liked that they got into a few particular disagreements about policies, some of which were as random as how to treat North Korea. <laughs> no, the, the, the North Korea discussion may have been one of the more interesting and, and surprising discussions of, of this debate, as Trump argued that he had improved relations with North Korea significantly and put the United States in a much better position because of that. And Biden argued the exact opposite, that instead what the United States should be doing is is sanctioning North Korea and refusing to budge until they get rid of their nuclear weapons. And they both took very strong, very specific stands right. on on that one issue. Yeah, they obviously were personally invested in that topic, not just not just towing Absolutely. The, the party line or whatever. Now if if all the rest of the debate had been like that, then then it would have just been a debate. Questions were better. I was I don't know or remember the name of the person who ran it. And I don't remember any of the specific questions they asked or how they phrased them. That's a good sign. <laughs> That's a good sign. You don't want the, the moderator to be a significant part of it. You want them to say something, to start the discussion, and to get out of the way. Yeah, it was very well moderated. I yeah. agree completely. It, it didn't feel like it was a three-person debate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It just felt like a well-moderated debate. Yeah, so often the moderators in the way. I, I guess I probably should go look up who that was and so I can give them some kudos. You know, They deserve to be recognized in some way for not, uh, not being in the way of a discussion, which is generally what a moderator is. But we're going to get into the first issue then of the day. The order that we do it will reflect to some degree the order they did it in the debate. They had large, broad categories. We introduced a few specific categories amidst those. But we wanted to present the specific policies and goals of the two candidates and what they're going to be doing going forward in ways that just haven't been presented as well as we would like. Obviously, we're going to leave out some significant categories because there's just too many categories for us to discuss in the necessary detail. And we're not even going to be particularly detailed today. We're going to be more uh, summarizing and then comparing the two and contrasting them. Yep. So a lot of this information we actually got from you know, their respective websites of their plans going forward, as well as is information from things they've actually said, you know, specifically in this debate. The first thing is, of course, the COVID-19 response. We'll, we'll begin with each of these categories by talking about what Biden is proposing, because Biden is the, the contrast per se, right? We have some idea of what Trump is thinks or has done on all of these categories. And so Biden will be the, will provide the, the contrast. We'll begin with him. Biden wants to fix Trump's testing and tracing fiasco. He wants to fix personal protective equipment problems for good in the production levels and in the distribution levels. And he wants to, to get back to science is generally how he frames it. Uh, he wants equitable and effective distribution. He wants to protect older Americans from high, that are high risk. And he wants to rebuild and, and expand the kind of programs and defenses that would allow you to address pandemics and to recognize them early, to predict them, to prevent, etc. And he wants to implement mask mandates nationwide by working with governors and mayors and by asking the American people to do what they do best, step up in a time of crisis. 
That was a quote, obviously. It's not normally how I speak. Now, that last <laughs> one especially is interesting. But if all of that sounds like a good idea and just practical sense, common sense, well, it is. And that's kind of <laughs> what people would be doing. I think you could put just about any person into office and that's basically what they would do. I think they would summarize basically those exact same points as they looked at it and address those same things. And then Trump, on the other hand, is going to continue doing all the things that, that he's done so far. You know, some of the things that he's been really proud of is the personal protective equipment that, that he's provided, you know, him personally. Sorry. His, <laughs> he makes his, it. His, knits it. He does. He does. Masks. As well as the the increased supply of, of ventilators, the increased testing that's been done, and then his specific plan for what he wants to do going forward is develop a vaccine by the end of 2020, return to normal in 2021, and then you know make all the critical medicines and supplies that the healthcare workers need in the United States, and then refill the stockpiles, and then make plans and preparations for future pandemics so this doesn't happen again. And when you add those things to continuing what he's doing, as you said, what is he doing? Well, he's addressing testing and tracing. He's addressing the production problems of PPE. <laughs> he's when when you dig he's into working on, he's working on distributing the vaccine. Right, he's got he's, a he's working plan to protect older military. Americans. Right, there. Uh, this is one of those silly things where it's entirely a battle of rhetoric and posture. At the end of the day, whether <laughs> Biden or Trump gets elected here, the difference is going to be more about style than of anything substantial. And and here's one good example, because the area where they seem to disagree, the absolute strongest, is on the questions of masks. You know, and that's and that's where yeah, they've been. Yeah. They've they've portrayed themselves, but they've also been portrayed very strongly as one or the other. You know, Trump says, hey. I want to wear a mask as little as possible. I'm not sure how much they do. And then you've got Biden on the other hand, who who says you have to wear a mask. If we wear a mask, we'll save seventy thousand yeah, to hundred thousand lives. Would save yes, by yes. such and such date. He's very strongly implied that if he becomes president, he's going to implement a national mask mandate. What was interesting is as I was looking through, even as he words it right here with this quote we have where he says, implement mask mandates, plural, nationwide by working with governors and mayors and by asking the American people to do what they do best. Step up in a time of crisis. That wasn't a paraphrase. That's the exact quote from his his campaign website. And the interesting thing here is that what he's strongly implying with this is that what he's going to do as president is encourage the states and the cities to require masks, but not to, for example, pass an executive order with a national mask mandate, which is what so many Republicans are afraid of will happen if he becomes president. And it's just more evidence of the fact that, as Dan's saying, when push comes to shove in terms of their COVID-19 responses, and both of them will probably disagree with us on this is that they're really not that different on what they would do going forward that that they're talking about most of the same things yeah in response to COVID-19 the two of them are going to be almost interchangeable like I said you'd get some stylistic Trump's use of the military to distribute the vaccine I don't know if Biden would have thought of that or would have agreed with that he might have done something different but are they both going to try and come up with a clever way to distribute it as quickly as possible? Obviously, that idea is probably not going to come from them directly. It's going to come from their advisors, how exactly to do that in the circumstances. And so it's like, like at the end of the day, the two of them at this point in the COVID-19 process are going to be almost interchangeable. There will be no significant difference between them. They're doing basically the same things. And when you get down to it, it makes sense because people people where they are now are at uh, are so different in where they are in each of the states. So people in New York are still willing to lock down and do some of these other things. They're less willing than they've been before. Other states that have opened up, they're not going to be willing at all. To some degree, it's almost politically necessary. You're, you're very limited in each of these areas and what you can do and what can actually be done. And so there's a pressure that's going to push the two 
into these kind of narrow paths they can take to address this. And in the long run, they're, they're not going to be doing anything significantly different from one another in this area. If you're someone who really likes Biden and you, uh, you really think Trump is, has messed this up and you're voting for Biden in large part because of his COVID-19, how he's going to listen to science with COVID-19, whereas Trump didn't, as he advertises it, that's probably going to sound pretty unbelievable. Um, <laughs> nevertheless. Doesn't mean it's not true. It is true. Even on, as Brad indicated, he's backed up from how mask mandates are going to occur to allowing governors and mayors to have say, which indicates that there's going to be differences in different areas, right? This isn't going to be a national mask mandate applied to everybody by federal fiat. It's not. Despite the fact that that's kind of the impression he's given as he's talked about it, right? He has given that and, impression. And maybe not even given, not, I, I would like to say stronger. I think he's probably said that at some point. But if he did, he's walked it back. And yet, Biden is, if he gets elected, it will be for COVID-19. <laughs> It'll be for what they think he's going to do, right? And also for the failures of Trump earlier. That's not, yes. it's not just and what that, they're going to do going forward. And that is a separate discussion of, yeah. of whether or not Trump failed earlier on in the COVID-19 process. And we're not going to get into that right yeah, now. But today. in terms of what they're going to do going forward, it's almost identical. Foreign policy is the thing that a president can do and can just do most of the time. There, there are limits to what he can do, but it's that the sphere of foreign policy is the one where he is the most powerful and where his opinions translate most directly into actions. One of the big aspects when he was asked about it in the debate is election interference. Quote, just last night, Top intelligence officials confirmed again that both Russia and Iran are working to influence this election, close quote. He then promised that they were going to pay a price for it. Uh, he wants to end election meddling. He wants foreign powers to stop messing with our elections. He says, I'm going to be tougher on China. This is, this is funny. When he talks about China, it's really strange to me. He takes, he's taking a hard-nosed stance on China. His, his position is not that Trump is fighting an unnecessary battle. It's that Trump is fighting a necessary battle poorly. But not fighting well enough. Right, right. He's not doing it well, and he needs to be doing better, and Biden will do it better. Which is a strange stance, because, I mean, just a few years ago, every Democrat and would say there's no battle there to be fought. But anyway, thus it is. He, he, he wants to fight the battle better than Trump. Um, he thinks the way that Trump is doing it is, is poor. Uh, he thinks that China's getting away with too much still, and that Trump has let them get away with too much. It's a surprisingly kind of hard-nosed stance on it. What exactly that entails for policy is hard to say. I didn't, I didn't see much clarity there. Um, he seems to be against the tariffs, but it's I, I, I'm not even confident in that. It, it was vague, yeah. It's vague. So we'll leave it, we'll leave it at that. He, his stance is to be tougher on China in some ways and more effective than Trump. What exactly that looks like, I'm not sure. The other aspect of that is the trade deficits. He wants to lower the trade deficits and, uh, and get those things under control as a, with China and with other countries. One place where he is more specific and, and clearer is how he wants to work with international agencies and organizations. He wants to be a part of the Paris Agreement uh, on climate change. Again, he wants to be work with the World Health Organization, who? To, who? <laughs> to deal with the... Uh, <laughs> I, I just occasionally make owl noises in our podcast. <laughs> just, like, just occasionally, just, who? Just throw it in there after, after sentences. It's the acronym, obviously, for World Health Organization. Uh, the, uh, Trump has not worked with them as much as, uh, all, all of these international agencies impose, uh, restrictions and expectations and, and have funding requirements, things like that. So to be a part of them is not free. Trump had, Trump's relationship with them is not great because he likes to do his own thing. And finally, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Biden on North Korea. Biden has a strangely passionate opinion about how North Korea should be approached. He thinks we should go back to sanctions and we should go back to never talking to them until they meet, meet certain 
minimum expectations. So Trump, on the other hand, has several, several things that he'd like to do. As Dan already talked about, there are several things that he's already done. And those include, you know, leaving the Paris Accords, you know, withdrawing funding from the World Health Organization, increasing relationships with uh, North Korea, uh, and working on imposing tariffs against China in order to fix our deficits. Those are all things that he has done, things that he'd like to do. And these, once again, are taken straight from his website. He'd like to stop endless wars and bring our troops home, uh, get allies to pay their fair share, maintain and expand America's unrivaled military strength, wipe out global terrorists who threaten to harm Americans, and build a great cybersecurity defense system and missile defense system. Why isn't space defense system listed on his website? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Is that implied? <laughs> it's because uh, it's because he doesn't consider a uh, space force a part of uh, his foreign policy. <laughs> Fair enough. It's a it's a part of the world's foreign policy, it's, not it's just part the of, US's. It's, it's, yeah, it's part of his. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't think of it as a hostile act. I really think that's what it is. Is he considers he considers space force more of an innovation? Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Which it is. I mean, he, yeah. I mean, it's not. The goal is not to launch missiles down, at least at this point. Yeah, the goal, the goal is not to have World War III take place on the moon. I assume. I assume. <laughs> so, so at first glance, it seems like there are some significant differences. And there are some significant differences. As Dan said, the two of the biggest differences really is North Korea and those international organizations. On those two issues, they definitely disagree in very genuine ways. The things that Trump has done to withdraw from those organizations is a real change. And if Biden gets reelected, he will reverse that. Absolutely. How much impact that actually has on people's lives on a day-to-day, extremely low, but it is in terms of And that's the real question. And that's the real question. Is is how much effect does the World Health Organization have on our daily lives? It's up for debate. It's definitely up for debate. Somewhere between um, extremely low and zero, though, is the range that <laughs> is going to be and, debated. And and part of the reason that that people take such a big stance on it, and part of the reason Trump did withdraw from some some of these agreements. Sorry, I'm mumbling here. Is because you know the Paris Agreement, for example, with these climate accords. The things they say are very strong, very strongly worded principles and ideas that are not really backed up in any substantive way. So if Joe Biden reverses what Trump has done by leaving some of these accords, all he's going to do is symbolically say we're in favor of these things. But that in itself is not really going to change the United States climate change policy just by rejoining the Paris Accord. It's going to require more than that. It's simply a symbolic gesture, and that's it, which is which still is significant, but you need to understand there's a difference between symbolism yeah. and actual policy change. Right. You could have someone who leaves those things and then is the most, you know, because they don't think they're going far enough and then goes much further. These, these things are not. We look at them because they might signal other things. As you said, they're symbolic acts. But then in many of the other ways... Trump and Biden have a surprisingly similar foreign policy. Neither of them wants to wants to be involved in 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 foreign wars. They both are interested in bringing troops home. They're both interested in this this similar stance of stand with our allies and stand strongly against our enemies in this vague non-committal peaceful peaceful (laughs) but strong american force foreign policy yeah which doesn't sound like a very bad foreign policy and and at least a not very controversial foreign policy right that they both are in favor of but is once again very similar it is very similar and it's similar and it's surprisingly similar given that the foreign policy of the last 30 years where we've been involved in many conflicts around the world. And so to have both of them, Trump is openly anti-war. Biden is just, I would say, not pro-war. I don't know if he's anti-war per se, but he's he seems to be posturing to continue basically Trump's anti-war things. Yeah, I would say that if if I had to guess based off of their foreign policy, who was the Republican and who was the Democrat, I would say Biden is the Republican 
and Trump is the Democrat. Right. Just slightly. Like it's not not strong, but but in terms of how they talk about it and things they say, you you would guess that Biden is the Republican. And I think that's a representation of the shift that has taken place that foreign policy more and more has become less of a partisan issue. Yeah. That it is not as yeah. clear cut as it used to be where, you know, if you're one way foreign policy, if you're pro-war, then you're a Republican. If you're anti-war, you're a Democrat. And it's just not that way anymore. And I think it's a good change. I think it's a good change. It is a good change. It, and that's a good point that Biden, in a sense, Biden is posturing as the, the war hawk, but not with the wars that we're normally familiar with. He's talking about information wars election meddling wars, where which is literally an information war, right? It's the, the way that these people uh, affect elections is by spreading disinformation. His strong stance against preventing COVID-19 stuff is what Republicans would have sounded like talking about the Ebola virus just four or five years ago. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and how they'd be like, no, we need more things ready so we can lock things down quicker and so we can respond to this a little faster. And um, it's this, it's, it's security. He is the one emphasizing security here for sure. Just yeah. not in the typical way where we usually have like a war candidate, an anti-war candidate and there. They have substantive differences on, on the state of our military involvement in a specific country. And that's just not, not present here. And as you said, I'm relieved to see that's not present here. I <laughs> enjoyed the, the turn towards peace for a little while. Okay. Now we want to talk economy for a little bit. So Biden has a few a few policy changes he'd like to make, and we could not. By the way, as as we go through each of these, we're, we are picking and choosing because Biden especially does have a a very very lengthy list of specific things he would like to do. Often big things. Often big things, especially you know in the, in the the economy section, he had a large list of things he'd like to do. We're going to list a few of them: the national minimum wage of fifteen dollars, working on racial equity when it comes to the economy, talking about some not super specific ideas about investing in minority communities, providing special loans, trying to bridge the uh, the racial disparity gap in income as well as the gender gap in income. Um, making the rich pay their fair, their fair share. You know, he talked a lot about how he would never raise taxes on anyone who makes under 400000 but that these these yeah. rich people need to pay their fair share. Right. And with the minimum wage, that's it's some of the things, the $15 minimum wage, these are some of the specific agreements between Biden and uh, Bernie Sanders, specific promises made to that voting demographic. And then talks about talks about loans, for businesses to help re reignite the economy, as well as bailouts for local, state, and some of the the Native American tribe tribal governments to help the uh, COVID nineteen crisis recovery, and then the other issue that he spends a fair bit of time talking about that that is kind of a dual issue idea is creating green jobs that will both fix climate change or help climate change and fix the economy and those kind of fit into both of those categories so we might brush on those here as well as later on trump's plan involves a lot of promises and few descriptions of how he's going to go about it and in the economy especially he was vague and part of the reason i think he was vague is because in his mind he's already the economy candidate and yeah. and mm -hmm. he rests on the fact that he had boosted the economy or that the economy was boosted during his presidency before COVID-19. Right. It hit record highs in certain areas and demographics. And right. So this is, this is him promising more of that. Basically, he's not articulating how he's saying what's going to happen. He lists things like 10 million new jobs in 10 months, a million new small businesses, cut taxes to boost take-home pay and keep jobs in America, fair trade deals, made in America tax credits. Opportunity zones. Um, opportunity zones are areas where they waive a lot of the red tape and a lot of the taxes in the hopes of making those areas, make, hoping businesses will invest in those areas. So they go to they go to places like inner city areas that have been that are economically dead, and they'll institute opportunity an opportunity zone there. And then businesses actually move in and things, and you get a lot of things moving as they they move all the 
government regulation aside and the uh, and make investing much more profitable without spending any money. They're just waiving some of the, the traditional costs built in by government. He talks about deregulation and uh, bringing back manufacturing jobs from China, right? These are things that he's talked about a million times. He, he's, these are things that he's been working on throughout his campaign. Some of them are things that have, he's, you know, he's got records on these things. So these are just his promises. Now, the contrast between the two is pretty significant. How they're going to go about doing this is, in some ways, classic Republican and classic Democrat. The Democrat's going to institute programs, uh, laws, tax programs. They're, they're going to basically use government to get dollars directly into certain areas. Whereas Trump is promising to get things out of the way so the economy can build more or less itself, right? He's pushing against the government. Biden's pushing against the market. And they're going to solve their their problems in, the, in those different ways. This is obviously a major disagreement. This is one mm-hmm. of those issues that I would love to see them debate in a way that's useful. Instead, what they do is they throw out lots of numbers. And it's just it's very difficult without an understanding of some of the theory behind this, without some of the logic and the causality to try and explain how one thing goes to the next and how these things affect each other and looking at we've talked about how many just pieces there are when you start getting into economics on this scale and understanding those pieces and how they're going to interact with each other and how they changed incentives there's a reason this is one of the most poorly discussed but biggest differences between the parties and between these candidates we hope as over the weeks and months and years to provide some key principles to help you navigate some of these things better and have tried to do so to some degree already by discussing incentives. Yeah, absolutely. And and we could spend a lot of time talking about about the economics because in both cases, in both Joe Biden's and Donald Trump's cases, there's there's some fundamental fundamental ideas that that they have that that create some issues that 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 make it difficult to enact an effective policy. You know, one of those things we've talked about on numerous occasions is the idea of creating jobs. You know, both Joe Biden and Donald Trump are promising and have promised in numerous different ways and on numerous occasions that I've hammered repeatedly is that they're going to create new jobs. They're both yeah. going to create jobs, you know, and they'll argue about how many jobs they're going to create or how they're going to create them. But clearly a key issue for both of them is that they're going to create new jobs and there's an idea there, a fundamental idea that that doesn't quite make sense. And at some point, we're going to talk about it a little bit more and talk about the uh, the broken window fallacy that leads to that idea. Um, but we want to give that give that topic justice. But but bear in mind that that this fundamental idea of creating jobs as being the ultimate solution needs to be looked at further because because there are some some issues with it because you know if if creating 10 million new jobs is awesome why don't we create 100 million new jobs you know <laughs> right and, right why stop at 10 and if you can do that let's do that let's mm-hmm. yeah, the, these economic issues are perhaps the most important issues at stake and so it's a, it's tragic that they're the least well understood and that i mean i mean there are a dozen assumptions under each of these, each of the ways that they're going about it that are either wrong or right or right. And if they are, then the ideas don't work or they don't come together in the way that they think they are. And they, there are other explanations for why things are happening. And there's just, there's a lot here. And Brad and I love discussing these things. <laughs> this is in some ways where I get really excited about things because it's in this complexity in this uh, in the economics and in the economic principles that you can really start to look at something that seems infinitely complex and then take it apart in ways that are that make sense and when it does it's it's exciting. This is not the place. You're going to have to go with whatever assumptions you have on this. They're <laughs> extremely different. The differences matter and they matter in a big way. Healthcare breaks on similar lines. In some ways, you might say it's a subcategory of the economy, but it's important enough and gets enough attention that it's worth addressing by itself. Biden, 
wants everyone to have affordable health insurance. And he's going to build on the Affordable Care Act. He varies. He's vacillated a little bit between calling it improving Obamacare, or as he did recently in the debate, Biden care. Um, that change reflects probably people's opinions and reactions to calling it improving Obamacare. I think they're reacting more positively to Biden care. It's, it's one of those political games we PR play. things. Yeah, it's yeah. PR. It's, it's, it's wordplay to try and get the most, most, uh, positive effect out of your language. He wants to basically, uh, going to be increasing subsidies and offering a Medicare option for people whose private insurance isn't doing right by them is how he phrased it. So the idea with Medicaid is that you don't have a copay, right? If you've got Medicaid, you go and everything's covered. But this version of Medicaid would be something you pay a premium for, like you would with a normal insurance. But then when you have it, right, then you don't pay anything after that. You just pay the premium. And then he's going to a lot of the, he thinks one of the problems is that the states didn't implement Obamacare, right? Some of them opted out. There were like 13, something like that, states that decided not to implement Obamacare. And he would impose it on them. He thinks that that was a big problem in those states. And then he wants to give this, this other option, this, this new insurance option, where if the, if insurance as the market is offering it is failing you, well, you have this option. You have this plan you can jump on. Trump, on the other hand, has a, a much more vague vision for what he'd like to do with healthcare. Obviously, one of the one of the platforms he's been on for a while is that he would like to to repeal the Affordable Care Act, while at the same time continue to cover all pre existing conditions, wants to continue to protect Social Security and Medicare, and he wants to cut prescription drug prices. He wants to lower healthcare insurance premiums across the board. And basically, basically he wants to, as, as he approaches the second term and as he's looking at what he wants to do, he wants to fix the, the healthcare industry and more specifically the insurance industry and the pharmaceutical companies in order to lower prices and make things better for the consumer. The, the issue is he's not very clear on how he's going to do that. <laughs> Brad and I just looked at each other and we we're thinking the same thing. I mean, that's, this is, these are the goals you have that you then try and make a plan that can achieve. This is, this is the wish list level of planning where you're like, what do we want? And then you list it and then you try and come up with a plan that does those things. And you'll probably find that no plan will do all of those things. So you have to make trade-offs, right? That's where the actual work comes into play. He's at the stage of, this is what I want. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, there's, there's little to say on it. Um, he has taken some actions that have not got public attention that are interesting. For example, he's, uh, he's put into place some things that have made pricing more transparent to people who don't have insurance. I don't know at what stage that's at, if he was, if that was an executive order or what. Um, a lot of the regulations around healthcare are significant and make a big difference Absolutely. for better or worse. They, they make all the difference for better or worse. You may think that they're good or bad, but the regulations define healthcare. Yeah. The healthcare industry is so intrinsically controlled by the government at almost every single level that, you know, the president's policy, the president's plan on healthcare is incredibly important because they are going to have such a large say in it because of the large say that the government does have on it. Right. Right. The healthcare system is not a marketplace in any useful sense. Now, there are several businesses and they do compete in some minor ways, but not in the normal ways that you think of. And they're not competing at the level that businesses generally compete. It's, it's not to think of the healthcare system as a market is to it's misunderstand inaccurate. how much of it is defined by government law regulation and state laws and regulations. It's, it's just not, yeah, it's just not a marketplace. It doesn't respond to any of the market incentives. And so substantially what's happening here is that 
Biden sees this system and says, what we need to do is to increase regulation on this system because it is in many ways just a government system, and therefore let's control it and make sure it's fair because it's a government system. And then Trump, on the other hand, says this fundamentally is a market system, so let's just make it a little bit better, you know, get rid of some of these regulations. And in both cases, they're they're kind of doing a half measure yeah. on, on both sides yeah. and only making small changes in the system that really needs to be overhauled one way or the other. Because as Dan's saying, it is a quasi-system that in some ways is worse than both a free market system and just a government-controlled medical system yeah that really either of those in many ways would be better <laughs> than what we have now which is which is weird for me to say <laughs> i haven't thought of it that way you might be right i'd have to soak on that but you i i might end up but, agreeing with that it's but the fact that, that but but the fact that that's a possibility is a bad sign. is interesting is a right. bad sign for how messed up it is right now because because of the convolutions and the complicated processes that that obfuscate almost every aspect of the healthcare industry. Right. And to be to be fair to Trump, if you were to look at that and try and figure out what's you know, what's the piece that needs to change to make this better, good luck. Good luck. <laughs> because there isn't a single piece you could move that would do it. You know, there's just too many it's too complicated and it's too regulated at too many levels for you to be able to make a single move that makes things significantly different. Just you, you have to make many, many moves. And as you said, it's, it seems like it should go one way or the other. And as it is, what you'll get is both of them are going to tweak some things. Both the other side is going to cry that it's going to be the end of the healthcare as you know it. And almost nothing <laughs> is going to change. So <laughs> no, and, 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 and that's the thing with, with the healthcare industry in terms of the Overton window of what's politically acceptable to do is that more often than not, what is acceptable to do is nothing because because it's so important. Everyone relies on healthcare and no one wants to risk losing it. And so the result is not fixing it. Yeah. It's a good example of, of where the tendency to to favor the thing you know over the thing you don't know is, the unknown. Right, is going to just hold you in a place that doesn't make any sense. And yeah, people are, people are worried. And, obvi and obviously they should be worried, right? If, you, if the government's going to do something and you have insurance right now and it's working okay and the government does something, that should scare you. Your life may depend on it, right? That should bother you in some way. So, it, so tweaking it is... It's hard. And as you said, it's the Overton window that what is possible politically without getting destroyed, you know, without getting, without guaranteeing you won't be elected and will have no say on anything is very, very small. And it needs to be very big to actually dress, address Accomplish the mess. something. But it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a tough situation. I don't know. I don't know how you improve healthcare at this point, practically speaking. I could tell you theoretically what it could look like and why that would be millions of times better. But getting there practically and persuading people, it's rough. It is rough. Healthcare may be maybe the worst of all of the things that we have in terms of how do you change it? How do you actually make a practical change yeah. that matters? Mm -hmm. Immigration came up. Yay! If you've been listening to us, we <laughs> I occasionally mention how much I would like to talk about immigration because there's some really interesting things there that are happening and in, in effects on the economy and things that people don't, I don't think people understand. And we are still planning to talk about it at length sometime. But for now, here's what they're, they're proposing. So Biden wants to bring back asylum hearings for people arriving there. That was one of the points like North Korea where they really got into it for a moment. We're like, no, mm -hmm. here's what we've, and they both had experience with it. Both of them have direct experience with these things in their political careers. They both actually know a lot about the subject on the ground and have some detailed information, not just like things that they've memorized for the sake of the debate, right? They actually seem to have some expertise on it and, uh, and have personal reasons to be concerned with it and attached to this issue. 
So asylum hearings are, you know, if someone has a reason to flee a country and they seek asylum, right? It's protection. They seek a place where they can go safely to get away from a threat. And I don't know how it works in most countries, but one of the things Trump changed is you can't come to America and seek asylum after you're here. You need to seek asylum elsewhere, and then when you have permission, then you come. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's some interesting practical implications. Obviously, that seems slower, right? What if you don't have time for that? And there's lots of interesting questions around that that they get into a little bit. Trump's stance on that is the problem is you get them here, you set up the process. Yeah, you set up the process for the asylum seeking, and then you never see them again. He claimed it was 1% or less of the people who come here have the initial thing and say, I'm here for asylum. And then they set up the process and then you never see those people again. And he, and he said something really funny there. I said, I rarely think either of these candidates are funny, but he's like, he's like only the, <laughs> or at least not intentionally, not intentionally, right? He said, he suggested that it was only the stupid people who actually showed up for the hearings. And this is one of those rare moments where obviously there are probably intelligent people who show up for those hearings, but all of the incentives would be for them to disappear. And so that actually makes some sense. They would they would go and then they would not have to worry about it. They just get to be here. I could show up at this hearing and maybe stay, or I could just stay. And so it's a, it's a difficult yeah, place. Yeah, it is an example of where the incentives are at least a little bit skewed. Yeah. But it, but again, as, as on, on Biden's favor, you have the issue of, well, people under direct threat don't always have time to go show up at your embassy and fill out mm-hmm. the proper forms and wait several months for the bureaucracy to work, or however long it takes. It's probably longer. And uh, yeah, so anyway. Anyway, it was an interesting issue that I didn't have, you know, I'm not super familiar with and didn't really have an opinion on at the time. And so to hear them get into it and both make some good points, I was like, wow, is this what debates could be? (laughs) 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 At least the level of practical detail is interesting to hear them go at it on this. Um, Biden obviously thinks that a lot of what Trump has done is is not humanitarian. There's some conflicted history on that, right? Because some of the policies were implemented under Obama and another one where they go back and forth a little bit. Biden wants to hold ICE people accountable for mistreatment. You know, it's kind of a similar uh, line with the police officers, right? There are some bad actors. There are people doing things. There may be some systemic problems. How do we fix them? He wants to make sure that's happening at that level as well. Protect the dreamers. It's immigration is such a funny thing because, as we've said before, immigration laws remain virtually unchanged for decades. This is one of those major issues where the legislature punts every time. Every time they punt. And what happens is the presidents make a few decisions, executive decisions about the enforcement, occasionally judicial decisions, Things change a little bit, and everything else stays the same. Trump, of course, wants to block illegal immigrants, right? The the wall was a big thing for him. Deportation for gang members and human trafficking and the the threats of of people coming in in an unwatched fashion, right? Criminals could come in. uh, There's all kinds of sex trafficking and things on the border there that's really sketchy. Both of them have such – have concerns that are – good concerns and nothing changes. <laughs> I don't, I'm laughing, but I shouldn't be laughing. I should be crying, right? I should be crying. Yeah. No. And, and, and that's the thing is that, is that the, the sides seem so diametrically opposed on this issue, not just Trump and Biden, but Republicans, Republicans and, and Democrats, Democrats right? in, in general. In fact, it, yeah. talking, talking about this issue and trying to disagree with either side on it, you're going to get shut down. There's there's, there's almost no room to breathe yeah. because people feel so strongly about it. And yet, we, we continue to have no change. Well, not no change. That's an, that's an exaggeration. Right. But we continue to have, as Dan said, minor changes that the presidents make. The substantive issues do not change. And and. And will continue to not change, and and that's something that we can basically guarantee, you know, that if if Joe Biden gets in office, he's gonna, you know, 
peel back a couple of the of the minor changes mm-hmm. that Trump has made, and then things will be business as usual, which won't be anywhere close to what the Democratic Party thinks is the proper answer or what Joe Biden claims he believes in. Just like Trump has been the most vocal Republican ever on this issue and has ended up changing very little. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. he's done, sure, he's done a lot. Like, you look in the details, things have, like, the number of people on the ground, perhaps the border and some of the funding, like, like a few of those pieces are there. But those are at the edges of the law, right? The law itself, yeah. what's legal and what's illegal has not changed. And that's, that's a, if that isn't an indicator of something weird, and if you haven't listened to our episode where we talk about the Supreme Court and get into the distribution of power between the branches later on, that's that's where the issue is there. Both of them made some good points. Both of them have, both of them made some points I disagree with. It's an interesting and difficult issue that matters to a lot of people, and it will see some tweaking around the edges. Biden will try and present a more humane face, perhaps some kinder policies. And other than that, it will be very similar to what it is now. So criminal justice reform. First, we have Biden. One of the stances he takes is on drugs. We've actually got a quote here. We're going to make sure that we change the entire system in the way in which we deal with criminal justice from punishment to rehabilitate. No one should be going to jail because they have a drug addiction. They should be going into mandatory drug treatment. That's why I set up drug courts. So there he's talking about how he wants to fundamentally change the way they look at the system, in particular in in regards to, to the war on drugs, which is a fundamental change in terms of in terms of at least intent. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that comes out in actual substantial changes in the law is another question. Yeah. Um he wants to get rid of mandatory minimums. That alone is is a concrete change that he wants to make. Right. He wants to remove some of the racial inequities. That one is much more vague and much more difficult to actually implement because you're talking about you're talking about, you know, you want to have a reverse quota. Yeah. yeah. And and how do you enforce that? Yeah. I mean, basically it is talking about having a a racial, you know, it's 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 weird. It's weird. It's weird because it depends on what point you want to attack it. If you if you attack the inequity directly, all you've got is quotas at the end of the day. It was the, it was what, it was the problem the Supreme Court ended up facing, right? Where they were like, mm-hmm. well, here's the law. And are they following the law? Well, what would that look like? Well, let's look at the numbers. Quotas. Right. Yeah. And so they end up with quotas because there's just – now, if you say that what Biden means is he's going to change the drug laws and mandatory minimums and that will remove the racial qualities, right? If these, are, if these other things are how he's going to do that then fair enough. But if you're going to do something specifically targeting the racial inequities... Doing that is too is too difficult, really, without, without making it a quota. Right. You need to figure out more. You need to figure out why there are inequities, and you need to address the problems at a closer level. And then, of course, he's already talked about police reform, and one of those areas is actually creating a, a database for keeping track of police officers so that if there are bad actors, they can be... Yeah. They can, they can be... They're, they're basically creating an almost auditing database so that there's there's evidence, mm-hmm. there's tracking of what police officers are doing. Yeah, the idea is that officers will get fired for doing something or get some kind of penalty, and then they'll just go to a different area and be police officers again or those kind of things. And uh, even to the point where you could maybe get – I know there are private groups trying to do this. I don't know if Biden's plan goes this far, but they try to get a record of the police officers so that you can, on the spot as a citizen – have an idea of who you're dealing with, which is an interesting idea. I doubt, I doubt the government would do that. That's, but yeah. But Biden's at least pushing that direction. Trump's view of criminal justice is uh, is actually similar in a few ways and different in a few others. He has done quite a bit around the edges, not the substantive changes Biden was suggesting, to reduce criminal justice penalties and to. Uh, and to let people off more and to reduce the sentences and things. Now, that side has kind of basically gone under the news. Uh, most people haven't talked about it much. 
Um, it's, it doesn't particularly get Republicans excited historically, which is why which is why Trump has has followed suit, and Trump isn't talking about it either. Right, right. Uh, often it's it's funny some of the some of the things I actually really like about Trump that he's not about Trump. Some of the things that some of the best things in my opinion that Trump has done have gone under the radar like that, where almost nobody on either party has talked about them. But since obviously the uh, George Floyd's death and the ensuing conversations and, and disputes about race and equity and uh, policing, he has been playing, he has been the law and order figure. And so a lot of his recent things that he's talked about are things like hiring more police officers, training them better, increasing penalties when people assault police officers, uh, prosecuting shootings and things harder. It's more standard law and order stuff. But I don't think he's against significant criminal justice reform, which is to say that if the legislature were to push something like decriminalizing drugs, I don't know that Trump would be against it. And this is another case, looking at these two sides, is, is what they talk about is extremely is. different. They look diametrically opposed. Right, their emphasis is very different. But when you look at, you know, <laughs> when you look at, at Trump's record and you look at, at, at Biden's specific policy plans and whether or not those plans are going to and, and what exactly he's going to implement, they're a lot closer than they look. They're not the same by all means. No, they they no. are definitely different. And Biden is talking about specific changes that are definitely more substantial than, than, than anything that Trump has talked about. The fact of the matter is, is that in this issue, they actually are a lot closer than they appear. They are. They are. Trump is actually much more open to the kind of uh, drug criminal changes and mandatory minimum changes than I think people realize and may even be in favor of them. It's ironic that I think if the two were legislators in Congress, they could actually work together pretty well on this on criminal justice. They could vote on a lot of similar things and could even co-sponsor some things together in surprising ways. <laughs> that is a weird thought. Not that I can imagine Trump in Congress, but there you have it. Climate change is the final issue we're going to discuss today. There is no middle ground here, <laughs> kind of like economics and in terms of what they want to do and what will be implemented, the differences are big and they matter. Biden has a specific plan, fairly specific plan. I would compare Biden's climate change plan to Donald Trump's uh, health care plan. Right. That he has very ambitious goals that a lot of people can get behind, especially in his own party. But whether or not he's able to achieve them is another thing. Right. And the, the first one here, ensure the U.S. achieves a 100% clean energy economy and reaches net zero emissions no later than 2050 is, is where this plan begins and ends, <laughs> both <laughs> theoretically, both in, in terms of its, of its substance and what it wants and in terms of its practical application. <laughs> To do that, you have to change everything. You have to change so many things at so many levels, far past the point where there's any cost efficiency. Mm -hmm. This is of all of the goals listed here. And by any candidate, this is by far the most far out there in terms of most what ambitious. Take, the most ambitious. He wants to go after polluters, specifically in low income or minority neighborhoods. Uh, he, talk, he talks about people living on the fence line of a factory and things like that and the, the effects they go with. Um, he mentioned fracking is one of the points that he's been attacked on several times by Trump. You said you were going to end fracking. Are you going to end fracking? He says no. But apparently he's not going to end fracking, but he is going to end the whole oil industry by 2050 at least. And that'll involve a lot of, uh, a lot of regulations and things to phase it out a lot of tax incentives to switch to other things and eventually just closing down what's left or or pushing it out of existence through those regulations and, and fines. And he proposes environmental justice. This is an interesting idea in political theory that's discussed quite a bit. 
and it's the idea of what what is what is just for people who are polluting and he he wants people to bear the full cost of the carbon pollution they're emitting and then trump's argument on the other side is is diametrically opposed his argument is substantially that we already have a a relatively good level of emissions that that america has you know clean drinking water and the cleanest air and that we have relatively low emissions and that what we should do is if we want to make changes is 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 make sure the other countries are influencing it for example you know he wants to clean up the the oceans but he wants the other nations to get on board because if they don't do anything then his argument is there's no way that changes will actually be affected but substantively what he'd like to do is deregulate as much as possible in in favor of an economy over climate change Right. He sees the solution to climate change as innovation rather than as some kind of, uh, rather than regulation. That, uh, that it's through advancements and through productivity that you can actually reduce emissions most effectively. Which is, I don't know his underlying ideas. I don't know if he, what he thinks of climate change actually. And, and as Dan said, these, these ideas are, are fundamentally different and, and I was going to go into the differences and, and break it down, but but I'd, I'd rather instead segue segue to the conclusion and some of our takeaways, because our very first takeaway is the perfect response to to this last issue, and that is feasibility. And and climate change is a great example of that, as as Dan said, because because everyone wants to promise something, you know. And as these candidates are going up there, they are promising a lot. And that's fantastic, but there's never really a discussion of whether or not they can actually do what they're promising to do. You know, just saying it doesn't make it so. And, you know, for example, Joe Biden wants to go completely, you know, zero emissions, 100% clean energy by 2050. That is a concrete goal and promise that he's making. Yeah, you could measure that and say, did we do that? And the fact of the matter is, is he doesn't address the feasibility of it because the reality is, is, is regardless of how you feel about climate change, that's just not feasible. It's, it's really not. It's, it's not going to happen. You know, I don't care if every single president from now until 2050 is a Democrat. It's not going to happen. Who has the same policy as yeah. Joe Biden? If Joe Biden, as he is now. right now, were president <laughs> for the next 30 years, he could not do it. If he had both both houses in the Congress were under his personal control, not even Democratic control, just his personal control for the next 30 years, he could not make those changes. They are just too large. Yeah. And and that's and in fact, if you look at if you look at many of the models that that climate change scientists have, they talk about how much it would take to change this. And it's very, very significant, you know, going completely, you know, net zero emissions is is very, very ambitious, to say the least. It is. It's very ambitious. And and ironically, you could do it and not make a difference, too. Which is the which is the killer? Which is one of the the crazy things with with uh, with climate change is if you did it and no one else takes drastic measures, or only half the world takes drastic measures, or something like that, you know, you could end up not actually making much of a difference in terms of of what the modeling shows. So it's just yeah, it's to change that much would not just restructure our economy, but it would be it would it would be it would be truly something else. People don't realize how hard it is to change production processes and and to shift, especially the large scale things and the, th the products we create and those kind of things. It's just not, nor do, nor do people realize that with every step in efficiency, every increase in efficiency is harder than the last. To take something from 100%, you know, they're not doing anything to reduce emissions to 75 is actually relatively easy. It's much easier than going from 75 to 65, which is going to be easier than going from 65 to 60. And, and each little step gets exponentially harder until you get to the point where, like if you look at your household cleaners, what percent of the germs do they kill? 
99%. They will never kill 100%, because at that point the cost is too high and the trade-offs are too many, even on this little thing, right, where you're just putting, <laughs> mixing a few chemicals together. With big complex mm -hmm. changes that restructure the world, efficiency is infinitely harder. And to get to 0% is likely not possible. And it's not just Joe Biden with, with climate change. You know, we talked about Donald Trump and his ambitious goals for making healthcare cheaper for everyone and lowering drug prices and keeping everything the same while making everything better is just an example of a fantastic promise. But is it actually possible to accomplish? You know, Donald Trump and Joe Biden want to completely fix the economy, make things better for all these middle class families and make thousands of new you know, millions of new jobs. Is it actually possible for them to do that? That's a question. And is that that doesn't often get addressed. And the next question that goes right along with that is what are the costs? You know, you create millions of jobs. Out of what? What did it cost? To, yeah. yeah, exactly. Out yeah. of what did you create those jobs? What are the costs for those jobs? You go completely carbon neutral. You know, you have completely clean energy sources. What are the costs to make that happen? Yeah. Yeah. And they'll, they will tell you that the costs, there actually aren't costs, Brad, and it will actually be beneficial. <laughs> Not only are we going to completely remake the economy, it's going to create lots of jobs. So what you're saying is <laughs> is that we've got all these pros for it, and then the cons are actually pros. The cons themselves are pros, right? The, the, what appears to be costs can actually be reframed because we're creating jobs, and those jobs will pay them people, which is a weird way of saying this is going to take a lot of effort and money that's going to be diverted from other things, mm -hmm. which seems like mm -hmm. a cost, but no, you, you rephrase it a little bit, and it starts to look like a benefit. <laughs> it's like... It's just a, uh, yeah. And this is how, this is how politics is, unfortunately, so often. It's proposing things that are either not feasible or cost so much that if we understood the costs, we would not want them. And to frame them as if there is no cost and as if it's as easy as you voting me into office. It's not how things work. If it were as simple as wanting these wish lists to be fulfilled, then we would have done it. We would have done it a long yeah, time ago. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We would have done it a long time ago. It's, it's funny when people, if it looks like someone can solve a very complicated or a very old problem very easily, they probably don't understand the problem. It's, it's frustrating to watch because, because over and over again, these promises are made. And the reality is, is if everything were as good as each candidate said, then it wouldn't matter who you voted for <laughs> because they're both so absolutely amazing. It's that's exactly right. That is, and so really and so really what it comes down to is people are deciding who they believe. Yeah. You know, both of these candidates are promising us the moon. So who's lying and who's telling the truth? The reality is neither of them. It's not even that they're lying or telling the no. truth. Neither of them are going to be able to accomplish the vast majority of the things they have promised. And and that's and that's just the reality. And and you can see that with Donald Trump. You know, people keep talking about, you know, well look at how much Trump has done. And yes, Trump has done things. I'm not arguing that. Just like Obama did things before him and and before him and before him, every president has done things. But have they accomplished everything that they said they would do? And it's never happened. It's never happened. Yeah. 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 My, one of my favorite people that I've mentioned before, Bostier, reduces it to something like this. Like what happens is the politician gets in and says, I'm going to lower your taxes and I'm going to increase your benefits. No one seems to mind that those are diametrically opposed. You yeah, it doesn't seem troubled by the, <laughs> right. the fact that that's literally impossible. And so there's, there's some good news in that, right? Which is to say that if your guy gets in, maybe you could tone down the excitement a little bit. It's probably not going to change the world. It's going to change some things. Some of them are going to matter. Some of them, as we mentioned, things like the economy, climate change, um, the changes they make there are going to matter, but they're not going to reach the high promises that they, they promised, but still, things are going to matter. Some of the other categories which we discussed, they're actually very similar on, and who gets elected yeah. doesn't 
actually even matter that much. Yeah, criminal criminal justice, immigration, you know, um, those issues are incredibly important. And we're not arguing that they're not important. Yeah. What we're arguing is rather that these two candidates are basically going to have the same effect. Yeah. Yeah. And on the response to COVID-19, it's not even basically the same effect. It's going to be if we were somehow able to censor the name of the winner and you just watched <laughs> how tried to figure out who it was based on how what they did with COVID-19, you probably it'd be like flipping a coin. You probably couldn't tell who was president at the time. Of course, you heard them talk. I'd give it away immediately. But just on what they did, policies, <laughs> you probably wouldn't be able to tell who was in office. So if you your guy loses, you don't need to get as upset as you might think. It's not as world-changing as you might think. This is what happened with Obamacare, right, with healthcare. The, the whole Obamacare thing was proposed. Republicans believing that it was a market and that this was fundamentally shifting it away from a market thought that this was going to crush everything. Now it's gonna it was gonna destroy yeah, the world. It was gonna destroy the world. It's gonna be the end of healthcare. We'd have socialized health within a year. Because it would just fall apart. It didn't fall apart. Now I think premiums went up and there were negative effects of it. But in terms of what it actually did, surprisingly little. Given the given the dire predictions at the time, <laughs> compared to the rhetoric mm -hmm. at the time and compared to and and in the long run, how much effect did it actually have? Well it had some effect, and it changed some yeah, things. Yeah, here and there. But here we are discussing how we're going to have one a new plan one way or the other, right? That plan's going to be gone, and we're going to move on. This is how so many important issues actually end up working out in government. And so to get so invested ends up being a lot of waste of your energy in a lot of cases. As we're ending our debate episode and, and potentially our, our election coverage, we may hit on a couple things, but we're probably not going to have a full episode dedicated to the election again, you know, unless something, unless something really interesting happens mm -hmm. and you never know. Yeah. But, but the point is not that things don't matter. Things most definitely matter. And the government has a very real effect on our lives, but there's a difference between that and the empty rhetoric that politicians say in order to get elected. And so it's important to remember that and remembering that will allow you to remember a lot of the other important things we've already talked about, about things that do affect it. You know, we've talked about a lot of concrete things over the past few weeks in connection with this election, because there are significant things that could be done that would make very real, substantial changes. And we'll continue to talk about those kinds of things because there's something real there and, and we'd like to build on that. And with that, thank you for listening. 